Welcome to Today in TO. I'm Danny Stover. It was Friday, February 10th, when John Tory announced he'd be stepping down as Toronto's mayor after getting hot and heavy with a staffer. Then, in the days following his resignation, we heard that a by-election would be happening to replace him on June 26th, and nominations would officially open on April 3rd. When it was first announced, it felt like a lifetime away. But now we're here. It's happening. And we've got some amazing candidates. And some questionable candidates, too. But right now, who cares? Everyone seems to be on their very best behavior. I have to assume that those who filed or who are planning to file their papers want what is best for Toronto. They might have very different ideas for how to achieve that, but no one is doing this because they just want another term and they're fully expecting to get it. This time, it's new. It's exciting. Stakes and spirits are high. And say what you will about elections, about voter turnout, about the folks running. This is a huge opportunity, and I'm pumped. That being said, there is a lot to comb through, and we'll tackle it in depth on next week's episode. This week, though, you'll hear about one campaign promise. I guess you could call it that. And maybe at first blush, it seems kind of trivial. But let me frame it this way. Remember when we had that Rogers outage back in July and we all lost our minds? The biggest concern for a lot of people was not being able to contact 911, was not being able to, you know, call emergency services. But that's a reality for every single person in Toronto every time they get on the subway. So why is it acceptable in that case? That was Rosa Odario. She's a spokesperson for the telecom watchdog Open Media. And she makes a fair point. Why in this year of 2023 do we not have mobile service for everyone available in the TTC? Also on this episode, something happened to me last week that had 12-year-old Danny screaming in a good way. It's kind of a wild and random Toronto story. And I don't want to give too much away, but it does involve a certain Backstreet Boy. Oh, and I think I've said too much. What does your friend's basement in the late 90s, early 2000s have to do with most of Toronto's subway system? Give up? No cell service. Now, I was lucky. I was in high school when I got my first phone, one of those early Nokia models. It was not smart. No texting, no data, no camera, no music. But it had cool faceplates you could change from time to time. And it had a calculator, the game Snake. And that's about it. Also, something to know about the old brick of a phone. It absolutely would not work in a basement. But look how far we've come. For better or for worse, new models of phones replaced the old. They got smarter, faster, smaller, then bigger. And now you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't have a smartphone on them at all times. Now, when it comes to the TTC, specifically the underground portion, we haven't come nearly as far. Not saying there hasn't been tons of growth over the past 20 years or so. But one thing that has always confused me is the fact that we don't have access to mobile services down there, especially 
as we talk about increasing public safety, especially as we look for real and workable solutions that could make an impact right now. Toronto mayoral hopeful Anna Bailao wants to get it done. What I thought is with $30 million of contracts that the city has with these companies, well, we need to take that business to companies that help us with the issues of Toronto. And one of the issues that we have right now is to make sure that the TTC is safer, more reliable, and, and that people can, can come back to the TTC. And for that, we need mobile service on the TTC. So whoever is going to provide that mobile service, they will get the business from the city of Toronto. I just always assumed it was the old basement argument. Sorry, I can't talk, or sorry, I missed your call. I was underground. But it's not. Because it's not that we don't have the capabilities to have cell service in the subway. There is spotty Wi-Fi on some platforms, but it's that the telecom companies, Bell, Rogers, and TELUS, need to sign on. So at what point do the big guys step in and do what they can to help? Not only make the city a little safer for subway riders, but to also... Bring the TTC into the 21st century. Rosa Adario is a spokesperson for the telecom watchdog, Open Media. The infrastructure for the TTC and for people to use their cell phones on the TTC is there. That's the most important thing to understand. Um, BAI Communications currently owns that infrastructure and they are responsible for building out a lot of um, telecom infrastructure in subway systems around the world. BAI Communications Inc. was awarded the contract from the TTC back in 2012. They paid the Transit Commission $25 million for the exclusive rights to build the infrastructure for cell and Wi-Fi service. By 2018, over 75 kilometers of fiber optic cables were installed along the subway tunnels. So big carriers we'll say that this actually prevents them from putting their own network infrastructure down there. And what's down there now is too old and too antiquated. And they would say that. So what about people you do see on the subway who can use their phones? What's up with that? Right now, Freedom Mobile customers are the only ones who can access that network because they're the only ones who have signed on to that agreement with BAI Communications. Okay. And what about the other guys? Our other, you know, big telecom, Rogers, Bell, and Telus, simply don't want to spend the money. They don't want to fork over, you know, whatever it has to be in order to have their customers use that network. But really, how much is that money worth to them when people are losing their lives over the fact that they cannot contact 911 and cannot contact their loved ones? So they would love for us to believe that, you know, it is because that they, they don't have the physical infrastructure that they cannot provide the service. And it's the same logic they use to, you know, charge us some of the most expensive bills in the world. You know, oh, the country's so big. It's so hard to build the infrastructure. But the issue is the same. The infrastructure is there. We don't need to build anymore. And it's not complicated for these telcos to offer us that service. They simply don't want to pay for it. And let's not forget, back in the summer when Rogers went down and we all lost our minds. Now, when we had our big Rogers outage last summer, the biggest concern for a lot of people was not being able to contact 911, was not being able to, you know, call emergency services. But that's a reality for every single person in Toronto every time they get on the subway. So why is it acceptable in that case? Yeah, so it's pretty gross. And I'd love to tell you more, but I'm going underground.
Hey, you want to go on a little walk with me? Time for a personal story, and this might get redundant, but recently, my husband was flying from LA to Toronto, and he texts me, I think a Backstreet Boy is on my flight. And this is a big deal for me, because growing up, I loved the Backstreet Boys. For a couple of years, loving them was my personality. I would record every single thing they did on TV. I had stacks of VHS tapes, and I would come home at lunch, and I would practice the dance moves from the extended version of the Everybody Backstreet's Back video that they performed on Much Music's Intimate and Interactive. I was convinced that one day I would meet and marry Howie D. Don't judge me. I was 12. (laughs) So when my husband's flight landed, he sends me a text and it's a photo of him and AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys at the baggage claim. And I thought that was the end of the story. And I was totally fine with that. What an exciting day for me. (laughs) And I shared the story with some folks at my work and my boss was like, wow, I'm actually going to meet AJ at an event tomorrow. He's in town promoting something. And so I thought, small world. And then she said, he's doing some press. Do you want me to see if I can get you an interview with AJ McLean of the Backstreet Boys? So I think you know where this is going. Jenny. Yeah, that's AJ saying my name. No big deal. And before we get into our chat, I did ask him about his favorite place to go in Toronto. I personally, I'm a big shopper. So um, I, I want to know the name of the street. I, I think it's York. Yorkville? Yeah, Yorkville. Like over by the big mall and like some of the cool trendy shops. Like I just love fashion and, and I just love to shop. Mm. Um, so I kind of live there every time I'm here. This is my first time coming to Toronto and not going there. And I'm having a little PTSD about it because <laughs> well, I live to shop. Uh, Nordstrom's so, is closing and they're I, having a big sale. So <laughs> that's what everyone's oh, talking about. Why would you tell me that? That's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> See, we have fun. I also wanted to know if AJ would be hanging out with any of his Toronto pals, maybe Drake or Annie Murphy, who played Alexis on Schitt's Creek. Apparently, the last time AJ was in town for the Big Backstreet Boys show, he met Annie and she was like, oh my gosh, I love you. And he was like, oh my gosh, I love you. And they hit it off in the cutest way. Well, I actually reached out to Annie, uh, and sadly, she's literally flying to L.A. today. Uh, so we just missed each other, but she, uh, she and I are, are definitely going to have to reconnect. Uh, and uh, I might pop in and see uh, Drake. I don't know. He might be where I'm at, or I might be where he's at, so we'll see. But why was A.J. here in Toronto in the first place? I'm glad you asked. Here's the rest of my chat with A.J. McLean of the Backstreet Boys. I don't want to make this too much about me, but I just have a quick story to share. Uh, My husband lives in L.A. part time, so he was coming back to Toronto yesterday and he texts me. I think A.J. from the Backstreet Boys is on my flight. (laughs) So, oh, that's awesome. I did some very gentle sleuthing. I went to your Instagram page, confirmed. Yes, you were on your way to Toronto. And the next text I get from him tells me he's landed. And the text after that is a picture of the two of you, (laughs) which was very exciting for me personally. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Um, He said you asked him for the pic, which was weird. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it was if the moment happens, sometimes you just you just you just got to go with it. Well, no. And he was very like, I don't want to bug him. But, you know, I saw my I shot my shot. So I appreciate you stopping to take a picture with him. Um, my my pleasure. Needless to say, we were so curious about why you were in town. And now I know it's to promote your new show, um, which is right up my street. It's called The Fashion Hero, New Kind of Beautiful. And it's premiering on Paramount Plus Friday, March 31st. Um, what can you tell me about it? Well, it is unlike any other show that uh, anyone has ever seen. Um, as far as the reality world, you know, in my opinion, reality television is not really reality. A lot of it is scripted. A lot of it is, you know, made for ed- entertainment. This show is real. It's raw. It is genuine. And it is inspiring. Um, we have 22 contestants from all over the world, three of which are from Canada. And we are really challenging these amazing people to look at themselves from the inside out and to accept that they are perfectly imperfect and that beauty is on the inside first and foremost, and to kind of get away from the stereotypical um, you know, supermodel mindset, the airbrushing, the six pack abs, the whole thing that this, you know, stigma that this is how society is supposed to look. Um, you know, social media definitely plays a massive part in that where people have a misconception, especially the younger generation, me being a father of two beautiful girls. Um, you know, they're not on social media. Hell no. Um, but you know, if they were, God forbid what they're seeing and what they think is what is acceptable and what is the norm. And that's not necessarily the case. And, you know, all of these people come from different backgrounds, whether it's, um, you know, dealing with mental health or low self-esteem, you know, uh, physical abuse, um, you know, body dysmorphia, weight issues, um, all of these things. And we have four amazing judges from four different brands in the fashion world. And we are finding that one person to be the face of that brand that wins to just show the world that everybody is beautiful, no matter your race, gender, age, you know, the age gap on this show is 20 to 60. Um, And again, you know, for me to be a part of something like this, I can relate to every single one of these contestants in one way or, or another, whether it's, you know, I've dealt with my own insecurities, my own self-esteem issues, having that mindset that I'm, I'm not good enough. Um, but, you know, I've stayed in touch with, it with, with a few of these contestants after the show was done being filmed, and they're thriving right now. And that melts my heart that they really did make that change, and they really are living their true best life right now. And I just hope that, that you know, a show like this really does inspire everyone out there and shows everyone that we are all beautiful as we are. Yeah. So I'm excited. I cannot wait for the world to see this. Well, and I'm wondering if you learned anything about yourself during this process, because it's kind of like a break them down to build them up type of show process. And I'm wondering if, if through it, uh, you were like, oh my gosh, that's an aha moment for me. There was quite a lot of what I call God shots that happened during filming for me um i had just came off of actually filming uh celebrity drag race rupaul's drag race um a few months prior to filming the show and you know it's something that i've been public about um you know when i was doing rupaul 
I had to shave my beard. So I never would shave my beard because I was very insecure about my neck having extra skin. It's a genetic thing within my family. And so I would always hide it behind a really big burly beard. And then my kids, God bless their heart, kids say hurtful things sometimes. Um, my kids kept calling my extra skin my droopy, and it really broke my heart and made me really more insecure. Mm. So, But while doing the show, in the world of drag, you tape and you tuck and you do a lot of things that most people don't normally do. Um, and I did all of those things, and I got to see myself with proper jawline. And I was like, wow, I look 20 years younger. Like I look like a different person. And you know what? I said, screw it. I'm going to do something for myself that's going to make me make me feel better and more secure with myself. So I went ahead and I had liposuction on my neck and I had face tight on my neck and I feel freaking fantastic. And I don't have any shame about it. I don't care what anybody thinks about it. It made me feel good for me. And again, once we started taping the show, I was literally, I trimmed my beard down, which I never would have done because I felt more confident. And I felt like the best version of myself. And I learned from each of these contestants something different, something new. Um, you know, again, from all different countries, yeah. different ways of thinking, different ways of living their lives. Um, you know, one of our amazing contestants from Nigeria made a very powerful statement, you know, saying, where I come from, we don't have time to dream. We don't mm -hmm. get a chance to dream our dreams. And that's gut-wrenching, and that's not fair. But yeah. on a show like this, he, he got a chance to follow his dreams and to, and to be the person that he's always wanted to be. And that's just so inspiring. You know, I still have so many dreams left that I want to aspire to get to. Well, what, like what? Well, a Grammy's one. That, uh, that would yeah. be nice. You know, we, we, we've been nominated nine times, and son of a gun, we still don't got one yet. But that's, you know, all in due time. But, I, you know, I, I'm starting my own fashion line. Um, I'm starting a, a brand new fashion line. I have a beauty line. I have a nail polish line that's yeah. out, been out for the last two and a half years, inspired by my daughters, working on a brand new solo album, my first ever solo album, letting, letting people know me for me. And it's every genre of music that I grew up listening to. Um, and just being my best version of myself and knowing that I'm no better and no worse than the person sitting next to me. And if I can love myself first, then I can give everybody the most love that I could possibly give. Cause I am a lover for sure. Yeah. Um, but if you can't love yourself first, you can't love anybody else. Amen. Doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> um, I want to go back. Is right. I want to go back to something you said about your daughters and social media. Um, how do you talk to mm -hmm. your daughters about social media? Because I'm sure they want it. They do, you know, and like, my oldest daughter has an Instagram that mommy and daddy run and it is yeah. all based around dance. Both my girls are in competitive dance and they put their dad to shame. But I explain to them when they beg me once a week to have social media, why, in my opinion, as a father, I think it is bad. I say, not only is there creeps out there and weirdos that are disgusting that prey on young girls and young boys, but at the same time, what you'll see on there is not real. You, you know, you see a selfie taken by a celebrity. Nine times out of 10, it's a professional photo shoot. It's been doctored. It's been airbrushed. And that's not realistic. Now you're starting to see more 
of the curvy girls, the girls like Lizzo is a prime example. God mm. bless her heart. She doesn't give a tiny rat's ass and good for her. She is like, this is who I am and I'm proud and I commend her a million times over. It's stuff like that that is acceptable, in my opinion, for my kids to see because that just says, hey, I'm beautiful exactly how I am. It's difficult navigating as a father. Just one more thing, because, of course, like I started this off, you were a big part of my tween years. Could you please, next time you see him, just tell Howie I say what's up? I will. I will absolutely. I, yes, you, you, you've got my word. I will definitely tell Howie that you said, what's up? I got you. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, truly um, a thrill. My pleasure. Thank you. You've made all my friends very jealous and I'm really, really <laughs> excited to devour uh, the fashion hero. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate all the love and support. Thank you. For those of you who have lived in the city for a long time, you probably remember Honest Ed's as it existed on the corner of Bloor and Bathurst for literally decades. And for those of you who don't remember or weren't living here at the time, it's now the corner that's being converted into those massive condo towers. But back to those who remember, Honest Ed's was a staple in the city until about 2017 when it was finally torn down after 75 iconic years. But what about those famous Honest Ed signs? The two store signs looked like something out of a movie, lit up with over 23,000 light bulbs that proudly proclaimed it was Honest Ed's. Well, for a brief period, the city wasn't exactly sure what it wanted to do with these iconic signs. They were massive and couldn't just be easily stored. So there was talks about maybe just tossing them away as some of the other signs were, or even holding an auction to sell them off as historical keepsakes to collectors. But finally, after much indecision, David Mervish, the son of the one and only Honest Ed Mervish, stepped up and decided that these famed signs not only needed to be preserved, but also needed an appropriate new home in the city, which it will finally get at the Victoria Street entrance of the Ed Mervish Theater after some much needed TLC. So even though the 23,000 light bulbs may be missing, you can see an iconic piece of Toronto history still up just south of Yon and Dundas. And honestly, the Ed Mervish Theater is the most appropriate home I can think of. Is it just me or is that a lot of light bulbs? That's all for today's episode. It was a bit of a trip back to the late 90s, early 2000s. You got a backstreet boy and a subway system that still doesn't have proper cell service. Uh, I want to give a big congrats to Sarah Smart and Meg Boland. They both won tickets to the Today in TO launch party happening at Great Lakes Brewery at 11 Lower Jarvis. Thanks to everyone who called my weird voicemail to enter. I also want to thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name, of course, is Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala, Amanda Capito, Jason Chapman, and Chris Dunner, our advisors to the show. We'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Till then, share this with the AJ fan in your life. Okay, talk soon. Bye.